Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 121. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week the Fed was talking about talking about tapering. What the heck does that even mean? Well, this week, uh, I guess last week now, the Federal Reserve held their June meeting. It's a two-day meeting. Afterwards, they came out with a statement where they did not do anything with interest rates, or at least the Fed funds rate. And later, Chairman Powell did his press conference. You know, one of the things that's interesting about Powell is, you know, prior to him being the chairman, there were not press conferences after every meeting. In fact, it used to be one of those things. You'd look at the schedule and say, oh, there's no press conference here. They're probably not going to do anything because in theory, if they made a move on rates, they would hold a press conference and it would sort of be obvious if they announced the press conference when there wasn't one scheduled. And you look back further, uh, you go back to you know Chairman Yellen, Janet Yellen. Uh, she did press conferences. Bernanke did. Um, eh, not too much, though. And then Greenspan, I don't think, really did press conferences. And before that, I mean, sometimes you didn't even get, you sort of just got an announcement or you got a press release or something like that. Although Greenspan, he would go in front of Congress and he would sort of ter- talk in circles. And a lot of people didn't know what the heck he was talking about anyway. Of course, he did coin the f- uh, phrase irrational exuberance. And But the thing with Greenspan, though, I remember CNBC used to show him going into the meeting and they had the, the Greenspan briefcase indicator. And the idea was that if his briefcase was really full, if you could, you know, papers sticking out or whatever, uh, chances were they were going to actually do something at the meeting. If not, they were not going to do something at the meeting. So speaking of the meeting, what did the Fed do? What didn't they do? And is inflation really out of hand? All right, so let's look first. I did an episode, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, titled Fed Tapering. I will put that in the show notes. Also in the show notes, by the way, I'm going to put an episode, what are reverse repos and repos, because the Federal Reserve had entered the overnight reverse repo market again and with some substantial size. So rather than sort of explain those things again, I'll refer you back to those episodes. I encourage you to listen to those. And if uh, you want a little more understanding of um, the Fed tapering was the episode where I kind of went through in my opinion, like, well, what are all the different options and the sequence that they might do something, not saying they they did or will do, and then also explaining what reverse repos, overnight reverse repos are. And I'll touch on uh, those a little bit. So you can hit pause now, go back to those, listen to those first, and then come back to this if you want, or you can just listen to this and go back and, and listen to those later. And if you've listened to all, all those already, well, thank you. And remember to keep referring, uh, you know, these episodes to other people people that you think could use them. Okay. So as I said, they they did not do anything with their Fed funds rate. So nothing there. Uh, during the press conference, Chairman Powell, and they also indicated they are not going to stop their $120 billion a month uh, purchasing of assets. Currently, I think they're doing about $80 billion of U.S. Treasuries. They're buying those. And they're also buying MBAs or mortgage-backed securities. So he did get some questions on that and, you know, didn't kind of talked it around a little bit. Um, I know, I think I mentioned on a prior episode, 
there have been some people wondering, you know, why they're still buying MBAs, mortgage-backed assets, mortgage-backed securities. Um, you know, didn't really get into that too much. Uh, the thing they they did do though is they made a change to one rate, and that's the IOER or the interest on excess reserves. So the the IOER was ten basis points, so zero point one zero percent, and they raised that five basis points to point one five percent. So remember if you know, if, if rates go, like here, I'll use this example. If rates went from 5.25% to 5.26%, that increase from 525 to 526 that digit is called a basis point. So if you went from 1% to 2%, that would be raising it 100 basis points, all right? So a little, little quick uh, side note there. So they raised the interest on excess reserves, and, you know, I think there, there's a couple things there. One is that the Fed has been going into the overnight repo market, and I'll, I'll sort of get into that in a second. But the the interest on excess reserves, the Fed funds rate, uh, currently the the bracket or the range, the target range is zero percent to 025 percent, so zero to twenty five bips or basis points. And of late, that had started to, to press the lower bound of their current target. I think it got down to five basis points, six basis points. And, uh, you know, we can take a look and see what the Fed funds rate has, uh, has come back to. But during the press conference, uh, Chairman Powell did say that, while they're not sure if that will reduce the use of the reverse repo market. Um, I think one of the reasons why they did the, the interest on excess reserves was to try and get the effective funds rate uh, back up. And in fact, that's what happened on the 17th. You know, we'd been at six basis points, so 0.06% for a while. And actually it was 0.05 back on May 28th. And right after they did that on the 17th, it went to 10 basis points, so 0.10%. So they sort of like to see it in the middle of the range of zero to to 25 basis points. So 10 basis points, it's it's higher. And so that's, he called a technical change. And I think I would agree with him. It's, it's uh, you know, it's not necessarily tightening, like if they raise the Fed funds rate, but it is something that's, uh, you know, banks have excess reserves. And after, I think it was 2008, 2009, when that law got passed, allowed the Federal Reserve to pay interest on the excess reserves at financial institutions. And so this sort of puts a ceiling on, on the rate, uh, but also the reverse repo market puts a floor in the rates when, uh, when banks have deposits. All right, so a couple things there. Speaking of the reverse repo market, the Federal Reserve also was continues to be in that market in a big way. So on, let's see, on June 17th, they did almost $756 billion, and they followed it up with Friday the 18th, $747 billion. So uh, while Powell did say at the press conference, he thought the use of overnight reverse repos, uh, he wasn't sure actually, to be fair to what he said, 
he said, you know, you would think that financial institutions would use it less due to the IOER, but in fact that at least in the first two days after the meeting that hasn't been the case. So that's a that's another record amount in there. Remember the the overnight reverse repos. Remember you can go back and look at the show notes uh, a few weeks ago. Did a whole episode on what they are, but that's where on a reverse repo, uh, overnight reverse repo, it means overnight the Fed actually exchanges treasuries for cash. So that's the uh, uh, banks, financial institutions, money markets. They've got cash, and they say well, we want. You know, rates are pushing sort of negative on the very front end of the curve. And the Federal Reserve says, well, uh, we'll pay you a basis point. Um, here's the treasuries. You give us cash. And then when you buy them back, you'll buy them back a little bit less. So you're actually earning a, a basis point. So that continues to happen in the reverse repo market. The other thing, and it's kind of a bit of a joke, is uh, the idea about, hey, will the Fed start to taper, and by taper meaning uh, reduce in some capacity the monthly buying. I mentioned $120 billion a month is where they're at right now. And Chairman Powell actually said, uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about talking about tapering, but nothing yet. And I think he even said he wanted, he wanted that term retired uh, or, or discontinued. But essentially what they're saying there is, in, they release their meeting minutes. You know, you won't get the full minutes on this meeting until uh, later. So if you look on the Federal Reserve site, they do publish their minutes. They um, basically during the meeting, it sounds like they they talked about starting to have discussions about when they would taper, but nothing there yet. That actually did cause uh, a short run spike in the ten year Treasury yield when that came out. That has since uh, abated back. And so the other thing that they've done at this meeting is they created or they released their uh, their dot plot. So I'm going to pull up the dot plot here and uh, kind of go through that a little bit. But the dot plot basically is all the committee members, they, they come out and they say, okay, where do we think interest rates are going to be currently? Where do we think they're going to be in next year, the year after, and then sort of long run? Um, uh, I'm, I'm simplifying this a little bit. By the way, you can get these on the Federal Reserve's uh, website. But this is where, so each of them, every dot represents, they call it the dot plot. Every dot represents a different member of the FOMC. And they also released their projections for things like real GDP, unemployment rate, PCE inflation, core PCE inflation. Remember their preferred measure is not CPI, but PCE. And they feel like that's a little bit more accurate. Uh, one of the things that they did raise in this meeting, they said, well, the PCE inflation rate, they expected to be 3.4% for all of 2021, 2.1% in 22, and in 23, 2.2. Uh, by the way, they have real GDP change, 7%, 3.3, 2.4%. Those are all positive projections, 221 to 223. And that's the, the median uh, range right there. The thing that made headlines, though, 
is that the central tendency now for their rate projections uh, actually has a, I think they're actually saying potentially in 2023, you could have a Fed funds rate rise. And so currently the Fed funds rate is, you know, they think the, the median is about 10 basis points. And the median for end of 23 is about 60 basis points. And then, of course, they have longer run at 2.5%. So this caused a little bit of a, a stir because that was a change. And the March projection had 10 basis points for 23, now at 60 basis points. So that did catch uh, some headlines. But here's the thing I would just say on this. If you go back, and I, it's an article I wrote a long time ago. I, I don't think it's even up anymore. But I went back and I took a look at the Fed projections, and then I fast-forwarded you know, several years just to see were they right, were they not right. And I got to be honest with you, um, these projections, an awful lot of them are not correct, all right? And it's not that they're, you know, these people are idiots or they don't know what they're doing. Um, in fact, one of the, the FOMC members, uh, James Bullard, he at one point refused to give his dot. So if you look at his dot plot, I forget, several, might have been five years ago, he said, you know, we're not really good at making long-term projections. Um, so what's the point of doing it? And he withheld his dot, I think, since he is, um, he's actually done that. You know, he's, he's been releasing his dot. But, you know, how many years did rates remain near zero? And, you know, if you went back and looked at, 2010 and the projections for 2012 and 13, the, the rates were all higher. They never went up. And I would just say with inflation too, you know, that we've had in an environment where the pressure has been more to the downside than the upside. So, you know, take these with a grain of salt. Uh, the reality is um, nobody really knows what's, what's going to happen. In fact, if you look at their projections in 2019, they had no idea that, uh, February 2020 and March of 2020, we'd be in lockdown for much of the country and in the midst of uh, COVID. So the, the point on that is, you know, rates will, um, who knows where, when they'll actually raise rates. Um, I did a, an episode, a prior episode. Uh, if you want to look at what the market thinks, you can always pull up a CME site, probability of federal funds rate, uh, and people actually buy and sell futures, uh, making a bet, quote unquote, or taking a position on the direction of rates and what they'll be. So, yeah, take take that with a grain of salt. That's uh, that's the point there. All right. Now, with regard to inflation, uh, I mentioned it, kind of the the sticky inflation versus the flexible inflation. I think it's. There's a few things that are going on here with, uh, with regards to the inflation that you're seeing. So first thing is the base rate. And the base rate uh, basically says, okay, when we have the economy you know, shut down in March of 2020, uh, in fact, the, the prices were dropping and they dropped June of 2020 as well. And so now you have the June inflation come out and they're comparing to the lowest point in the CPI. 
And so it's kind of like, you know, if, if 80 degrees is sort of your average, but yesterday it was 70, and then you go up to 83, well, that's 12 points from yesterday, but it's really three points up from the average, right? So here's, I, I mentioned this before, and I, I'd like to follow a uh, few Google sticky CPI price, Atlanta Fed, they have a chart and their chart looks at the sticky CPI and it looks at the flexible CPI. And I'll remind people, I did a, an episode on this and uh, I'll put it in the show notes where I really got into the details and what's in there, what's sticky, what's flexible. So if you look at uh, sticky CPI and that's the over the last 12 months or year to year, it's up 2.7%. The flexible CPI over the last 12 months was up 12.4%. Now, think about this too. Some of the things that have actually been rising, you have things like used cars. Used cars were up 31.5% year over year. So June 20 to, uh, to June 21. And think about that. Nobody was traveling and you had a lot of the the rental car companies selling off some of their, their fleet. They didn't think they needed it. Hertz was going into bankruptcy. I remember people forwarding me what they thought were pretty screaming deals for used cars from Hertz uh, below market value that they were getting rid of them because one, they were in bankruptcy and two, nobody was renting cars. So fast forward now and you have rental companies, you have you know any number of people who are in the used car market and they're sort of bidding things up. So, I mean, think about that. Are we really going to see year-over-year increases of 31.5%? Um, when you look at, I think Scott Minard from Guggenheim had, uh, had a piece out and he made the point that more durable inflation categories have been you know, fairly benign, that's rent, owner equivalent rent, healthcare. But then if you look at things like used cars, hotels, car rentals, uh, airfare, all of those things were up quite a bit. You know, in April, the I think it was almost 0.6% of the total number. So, um, so again, if we go back and we look at the... CPI for April, what I'm saying is it's not six per, you know, 0.6% of April CPI. What I'm saying is that, you know, imagine CPI would have been two, but then all of this stuff was added, you know, went to 2.6, right? Um, uh, you know, as I'm doing this, the Bureau of Labor Statistics website is down and, oh, apparently what's going on there? It uh, looks like they are down for maintenance. All right. I plan to actually pull up the CPI and go through a lot of stuff. They're down until, what's going on here? Until 7 a.m. Tuesday, June 22nd? All right. Anyway, they apologize for any inconvenience, and we'll take that apology, and we do appreciate it. All right. So the point is, and I think what Scott Minard said, look, you only reopen the economy once, hopefully, right? And a lot of the stuff... I mean, we saw it also with, with lumber. Sounds like a lot of uh, places said, well, we're going to have, you know, no one's going to be 
buying houses in the pandemic, buildings going to crawl. Uh, a lot of people sold off their inventories and lumber, and all of a sudden you need it. Even shipping, we see container shipping, backups, shortages, a uh, ton of stuff in waiting. And I think the cost for shipping is going up. And that's also bleeding into the cost of things like steel and raw materials. So I, I think it's going to be, it's likely that we, we do have some of these price increases. But so far, the things, the more durable things, the sticky things, uh, we're not seeing prices get really, really crazy. And I'd encourage you to go to the Atlanta Fed site for the sticky CPI. You can actually go and, and pull up. In fact, I'm, I'm pulling up a chart and I'm looking back to the late 1960s and 70s. And we had real inflation. For example, in March of 1980, the sticky CPI was up 13.9% when flexible was up 16.7%. And so what you see is that the sticky CPI tends to not really bounce around much unless you were, you know, truly in a, an inflationary regime regime. And, you know, give you some perspective on this. July of 2009, the flexible CPI was down 7%, minus 7%, when the sticky was up 2.1%. So Sticky seems to, uh, and, and that was created by some economists at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Yeah, that's right. They, there's the Bank of Atlanta, the, the Dallas Fed, the New York Fed. New York Fed, of course, does a lot of the, they do the trading, so they're pretty important. Um, but different banks have different things, and you've got economists at these banks. And so they wrote a whole paper and developed the Sticky versus Flexible CPI. So... If I were you and you want to tune out the noise, I would do a couple of things. One is, let's assume the Bureau of Labor Statistics gets their act together and gets the website back up, uh, as they say, on Tuesday, June 22nd. You can go in there and actually look at all the different components and look at the year-over-year comparisons. You can also look at the month-over-month comparisons. Uh, you can go to the, the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, Google Sticky CPI, and you can compare the sticky versus the flexible. And then as far as the Fed, I would say this, you know, they, they, um, I, I don't, you know, it's tough to say what interest rates are going to be in a couple of years, but I would just, you know, continue to follow the economy, continue to follow, um, the different metrics I talked about. And then I encourage you to Google CME, Fed Probability Indicator. And you can see what the actual markets are betting on. Betting's not the right term, but you know, based upon positionings or the price of the Fed funds future, you can figure out what the implied interest rate is. So, you know, for example, the December 2023 contract of the Fed funds, that's going to give some a little bit of price discovery on the implied rate of interest. And what the CME does with their tool is they actually convert some of this stuff to probabilities. And so you'll see the probability of rates being between this and this and this and this, okay? So take a look at that. All right, so we'll leave it there. Google that stuff. Listen to the other podcast that I will put in the show notes. And as always, please forward these, share them with someone you think that might enjoy them. And, you know, if you have a free second, you can five stars and rate and review and all that stuff. But 
Anyway, um, you don't have to waste time doing that. Just, just pass it along to somebody. And all right, that's it. See you next week. <laughs>